This talk was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as part of the 2022 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. Okay. My biggest regret is that we leave tomorrow morning. Okay, here's why. Because if I could change it, I would have given this talk last Monday so that I would have had another week with you all to discuss it. Because I think the, mo- the, like, the thing I, I get the most excited about would be to discuss with you what you, you'll hear tonight. Okay, So you'll just have to do it with each other. Um, so it'll be good. It's good that staff leave and it's just students and team leaders here because it helps you all lean into each other even more. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in. Uh, I've got a picture up here, my family, um, my wife Liza. You all have seen these people running around for the last week. If you haven't, then you had COVID and were quarantined. Uh, my wife Liza, we've been married 14 years next month. James is seven, about to go into second grade. Bennett and Lindley are twins. They're five, about to start kindergarten. They're awesome. Uh, they are full of life, as many of you all know that as you've gotten to know them and you've seen them running around the last uh, last few days. So that's my family. I came on staff in 2008. I was at Eastern Kentucky University, EKU, for eight years and then launched a small team to Louisville in 2016. So we've been there for six years now, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about because it feels seriously like yesterday I was sitting in a room like this on a summer project, except we were in Sandusky, Ohio. So we went north, which was terrible. Uh, literally, the uh, ser- I'm not. This is not a, a lie. Okay, first day of project was maybe May 28th or something like that. It was snowing the very first day. Snowing. <laughs> uh, it was awful. No, it, it was that was the only time I ever did that though in like the 13 years that we were. We were in Ohio. So whenever I started a region, I said, hey, we're not going north. We are going south uh, for the summer. So, all right, that's a little bit about me. I'm going to share a little bit more in throughout this uh, discipleship talk. But let me ask you a question. What do Charles Hooper, Sam Gearsack, Cam Shadler, and Sam Lynch have in common? There are people. That's a great answer. That is true. But if I went up to Sam, Cam, and Sam, and I said, do you know who Charles Hooper is? They'd probably say, no idea. Never heard of him. Okay? Well, we're going to find out what they have in common uh, throughout this talk. But here's what I want to do first. You all have been in this theme called exiles and you've been reading through first Peter. And so I learned that when I got down here. And so for the last 10 days, I've been reading through first Peter over and over and over and over again, and have absolutely loved it. Okay. I'm going to just share a couple things. I hope it encourages you before we even really get started. First Peter one, three and four. Many of y'all maybe memorize this. I don't know what your memory verses are. First Peter one, three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is 
imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Before we talk about discipleship, like, let's just marvel at the gospel again. Okay? I hope that when you leave Summer Project, that you won't just love your experience, but you'll love the gospel more. That you'll leave every day, I love the gospel. I marvel at the gospel because of the incredible truth that's there. I mean, look at that. God causes us to be born again. How? By His great mercy. It has nothing to do with us. You all said it. I think maybe um, uh, Kale prayed it. He was like, we've learned a lot about our sin. That's all we bring to the table in front of God is our sin. But He has so much mercy. It covers our sin, and He causes us to be born again through Jesus' resurrection. And what do we get? We don't get a clean slate, and He doesn't say try again, try harder. No, He gives us an inheritance. An inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's incredible, incredible truth. And I hope that you all will rejoice in it. I hope that you'll remember that gospel always. I hope you remind yourself of it. And I've been praying that you all will marry someone that's going to remind you of it. Okay? Remind you of it. Marry someone that's going to do that. Because life is hard. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now. Maybe you don't feel it because you're 18, 19, 20. I don't know how old y'all are. Something like that. Uh, And just life hasn't been too tough yet, you know? Life is going to get hard. There's going to be really, really hard things that you all go through uh, probably over the next five to ten years. Okay, you're going to start experiencing them. And you need to be grounded and, f- and your foundation has to be on the gospel to get through those things. All right. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. If you're a Christian, okay, if this gospel has changed your life, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Think about that. Okay? You understand the gospel? You are God's chosen people. You are in His family. You had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. You were not a people, and now you are His people. And what do you get to do? Proclaim the excellencies of Him, of God. You get to tell people, He brought me out of darkness. He brought me out of my sin. He showed me mercy. And He wants to do the same with you. Will you believe? That's what we get to do. Isn't that incredible? What a privilege that we get to proclaim God's excellencies to other people. All right. I say all this at the beginning. Okay? You're like, hey, I thought we were talking about discipleship. We are. Discipleship is a response to the gospel. Okay, that's what it is. It's not the gospel. Discipleship is not the gospel. Discipleship is a response to the gospel. The gospel has to be what's central in our lives. The gospel has to be where we find our identity. And because of the gospel, we live certain ways, we do certain things, we treat people certain ways. Because of the gospel and God's Word, that's clear. We must strive to be discipled and to do discipleship. Okay, We want to be discipled and we want to disciple others. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So 
before we dive in a little bit to discipleship, let me just take a couple verses and kind of frame what discipleship is. Let me define it clearly for us. Matthew 28, 19. This is Jesus speaking to His disciples right before He ascends into heaven. These are His last words. In verse 18, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Okay, let me say that again real quick, okay? All authority and all of the cosmos of anything that's ever been created or will be created has been given to Jesus Christ. And He's getting ready to say His last words to 12 people. Do you think those words are important? They're vitally important. I bet that people were sitting there thinking, what is about to come out of His mouth? And this is what comes out of Jesus' mouth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's His command. That's, that's what His last words to His disciples are. I have all authority. Go, make disciples. Go and make disciples. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this. This is a, a small book in the New Testament where Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. Okay, Timothy's not a stranger. He's not. Uh, they didn't meet each other on social media. Timothy and Paul were good friends. And Paul taught Timothy a lot about what it looked like to be a godly man, to plant a church, to do all kinds of godly things. And he's writing in this letter, and this is what he says in 2 Timothy 2. 2 what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what Paul's saying is that, Timothy, for years you've been with me. We've planted churches. We've visited cities. We've told people about Jesus. We've corrected Christians who maybe were going the wrong way. What you have seen from me over all these years, go and entrust in the faithful men and women who will teach others also. It's multiplication. It's it's don't let this baton be passed to you and it stop there. Let it keep going. All right. So discipleship is a command from Jesus to give your life away to someone else while teaching and training them to be a follower of Christ with the goal to multiply. Okay, I'm going to say it one more time. I know it's been up there, so maybe you wrote it down. It's a command from Jesus to give your life away to someone else while teaching and training them to be a follower of Christ with the goal to multiply. The goal is to multiply. So I'm going to take you on a journey in my story, because I think it depicts a lot of this clearly. But here's why. I think the Bible is clear about discipleship. No one, I, don't, I mean, if you want to argue with me that discipleship is uh, kind of an elective and I don't really have to do it, I'd say, okay, well, let's just go read the Bible. Um, it's all over the Bible. Even First Peter the book of 1 Peter, it doesn't have a verse like 2 Timothy 2.2 in it, okay? But the book itself is written from Peter to exiled Christians, teaching them how to live the Christian life, encouraging them how to continue in the faith. It's a discipleship letter. The whole book is. It's everywhere. But here's another thing that's really helped me in my Christian life, remembering. Okay, the Bible talks about remember, remember, meditate, remember. Psalm 145, 4 and 5 says this, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. I am to commend God's works to the next generation. 
All right. I'm looking at you all as the next generation. Even though I don't feel as old as I might look and seem, you all are the next generation. Okay. And I am to commend you to God's works. I'm to remind you of what he's done. And then his works, the things I remind you of, they will declare his mighty acts. And on those wondrous works that God does, I'm supposed to meditate. I need to meditate on them. All right, here's just a little side note before we really dive in to, to kind of my story. Are you struggling? All right, so maybe don't think about where you're at today. Maybe you are struggling today. But more than likely, in this room, if you've been on project for four weeks, y'all seem to be having a great time. Y'all love each other. Y'all, I mean, y'all are having a blast. Sam woke me up last night telling people to get back in their beds for curfew. I was like, man, I, I'm thankful they're having fun. I wish Sam wouldn't yell at my, right next to my door. But all that says to me is like, man, y'all are enjoying it. Y'all are living it up. Y'all are having fun here. Okay, but before you got here, or maybe even while you are here, are you, are you finding it difficult? Are you wrestling inwardly like, I just am not satisfied. There's just something there. I feel depressed. I feel dark. What is it? Well, if you're not there right now, you probably will be there. Maybe a week or two or a month or a year or ten years after you leave this place. You're going to find yourself in spiritual ruts or spiritually tough places. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay, this has nothing to do with, I mean, it is discipleship, but meditate on God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. I can't, I cannot, as a guy who's been walking with the Lord for like 15, 16 years, I cannot express this enough to you that do not live your life by your feelings. You're not going to wake up feeling like reading God's Word every day. You're not going to wake up feeling like going to work that day. Don't live your life by feelings. Live your life by faith, by faith. God's Word is good for me. Therefore, I go to it because I know it is the fount of living water. Go to God's Word. Meditate on it. Because when tough times come, and they will, tough times are coming. You're going to lose babies. Your family members are going to die. Like cancer diagnosis are going to come. You're going to lose your job. Like those kind of things are coming, and no one talks about them when you're in high school and college. But I'm just telling you right now, they're coming. They're difficult. Meditate on God's Word. It will get you through. Between that and church, I don't know what else more I can like recommend and like highly encourage you all to make sure you make a priority in your life. God's Word in the church. All right. I grew up in the middle of Kentucky. Marion County is what it's called. It feels weird talking to people from like Minnesota and St. Louis, to be honest with you, because I'm used to like talking to people from like Louisville and Kentucky and they understand like these places and stuff. So anyway, in Kentucky, if you don't know, when you ask someone where they're from, they give the county. Like, we're from Marion County. We're from Taylor County, you know, unless you're from Louisville or Lexington, basically. All right. So Marion County, right in the center. There's nothing there. It's not central to anything. It's the middle of nowhere. All right. I was born out of a one-night stand. My mom was 16. My dad was 18. So my story starts with these two words, unwanted and unloved. That's how I felt growing up. Okay, I don't know if any of you all maybe feel that. Maybe you had parents and you still felt that. Unwanted and unloved is how I grew up. My dad, when he found out that my mom was pregnant, he left her. 
left us. So I grew up with no dad, and then I grew up with a young mom who hated my dad, who was bitter at him. So I grew up trying to figure things out alone. My family grew up Catholic, so as well as did I. Much of my town was Catholic. I honestly didn't know anything else existed until like high school. I thought everyone was Catholic. <laughs> um, and so this is what I would have told you as I was growing up. I would have said, yeah, I think God exists, and I think I need to be a really good person to make it to heaven one day. Like that would have just been my answer to like, hey, how do you get to heaven? Believe God exists, be a good person. That would have been my two answers. Obviously, those are not the gospel answers. Obviously, those are not biblical at all. And so growing up, I ran to sports as kind of an identity. I ran to sports for feeling good about myself. And I played basketball, and I got decent at it enough to go to college. And that really kind of changed my future. So in 2004... Anybody born in 2004? Man. Oh, Sebastian. Dang, dude. Uh, all right. Well, Sebastian was being born. I was headed to college. In 2004, I went to Georgetown College. It's a small school, a little bit north of Lexington. And really, I had left the Catholic Church like in middle school, basically because I just, I just thought I didn't need it. Like, I believe God exists. I want to be a good person. Maybe I'll get to heaven. And I just kind of stopped going. So, And I didn't go anywhere else. I didn't have any other church background. And really, I just lived a pretty typical, lost college student lifestyle. Okay, I did a lot of things uh, I regret my freshman, sophomore, and even junior year. From women to drugs to alcohol. And I did all this because... The, the media and what my friends like applauded were those things. That's when people were excited about me. That's when I felt loved and wanted, is whenever I was actually doing the things that were against God. That's what I thought. And that's what I thought everybody was doing. I didn't even know Christians existed. Like, I didn't know anyone who was taking their faith serious. But because I was playing basketball, I met a guy named Casey Willis. Casey was on staff with Campus Outreach at Georgetown. And fast forward two years into this relationship, so my junior year, very first day of campus, Casey was walking around, and he was introducing a new staff guy on his campus to students. I was playing cornhole outside my fraternity house, and here comes Casey. I know Casey. I mean, Casey's a great athlete. Like, I respect the guy. He's talked to me a little bit about Jesus before. I told him I didn't want anything to do with that. So he's introducing me to this other guy named Andy. And I start seeing Andy in the cafeteria. Okay? Andy would sit down and talk to me. I was like, man, I don't want that old guy to come sit with me again. Like, gosh, he's embarrassing me. Um, but then, after a few months, Andy said, hey, Blake, let me take you out to lunch. I'll buy it. Like, okay, yeah, free meal. It's great. This cafeteria food is terrible. Um, but I remember, as we were sitting down to eat that day, I'll never forget it, things got a little more serious than normal. Like, we started really talking about a lot of spiritual stuff that I had never talked about with anyone before. And I remember thinking, after that convo, we left, and I remember thinking, man, I need to be a better person. Like, I need to go buy a Bible. I need to go to church. I need to do something. I need to pray. Like, I need to be doing something different. Andy made me feel bad. <laughs> he wasn't really making me feel bad. 
it was the guilt of what I was doing in my life. Let me tell you what happened after that meeting. Two weeks later, I had a friend commit suicide. So now, I had this meeting with Andy, thinking about all these things. My friend dies. I started thinking about death, and I'm like, what would happen to me if I died? And then I got real with myself, and I said, I actually don't know. Actually, I do know. It would not go well. Why in the world would God want a guy like me? And so, but I thought, who am I going to talk to? Who do, who do I talk to about this? Do I ask my fraternity brothers? Heck no. I know them. They, they are not going to have any answers for me. My basketball team? No. The only person I knew that I could call and ask was Andy Harding. And so I called Andy. We sat in the Georgetown College Library, April 2nd, 2007. Okay, it was a Monday night. My friend committed suicide on a Friday night. I had all weekend to think about it. I called, my, called Andy on Monday. We met that night. Sat in the library. And he said, Blake, you need to hear the gospel. It's like, okay, you're going to play some music for me? Like, what's the deal? Like, I didn't, know what the, I didn't know what that was. Like, I literally thought gospel music. And he shared the gospel with me. He shared that God is the holy creator of everything. And he created people to be with him. But we chose to rebel and sin against him. And it caused a great chasm between us and God that we could never be right with him. I was like, well, that's terrible news. And he said, but that's the thing. God had mercy on us. He sent Jesus to come and pay the penalty that your sins deserve. I was like, okay, so what should I do? He's like, you don't have to do anything, Blake. I just told you God did everything for you already. He sent Jesus. Trust in Him. Do you believe this news? And I started weeping. And I thought, how can this be true? You earn everything in life. You want a spot on the basketball team? You work hard to get that spot. You work hard to keep that spot. And it's backwards. This sounds backwards to me. And he said, That's, this is who God is. He's, he's backwards from this world. He, it doesn't make sense because he's not like this world. And I just thought, I literally looked at Andy and I said, if this is true and God has done this for me, I'll do anything for him. I don't want to sin against him anymore. And that night, I think God changed my heart. I think God changed my whole life. I don't know if it was in that moment or over the course of those two days or what it, when it was, but that gospel message that night changes everything. Andy told me immediately, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I got it tattooed on me because I never wanted to forget. I wanted to see it in the mirror every day. New creation is what I have on my arm. New creation 517. You are a new creation. So in here right now, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you thought about today. I don't care what you've done over the last few years of your Christian life. You're a new creation and that's how God views you. That's amazing. If you've been, if you've had a hard time, that's how God views you. And that's how he's going to view you until the day that you see him face to face. And he's going to welcome you in because of Christ's blood, not because of you. Still good news. All right, so Andy and I immediately started meeting. Started meeting and reading the Bible. I didn't have a Bible. He bought me one. I told him, I was like, listen, I've tried to read before, and I don't understand it. Like, you got to help me. And he was like, yeah, that's what I want. I'm a staff. That's what I do. Uh, he didn't say that, but like, on the, like, looking back at it now, I'm like, that's a dream come true is for someone to say, hey, you're going to read the Bible with me. And that's what I did with Andy. I was like, you're going to help me tomorrow. Like, I, I, I'm not... 
I'm, I'm serious about this. So we started meeting weekly, sometimes several times a week, and I learned so much from Andy. I learned how to read my Bible. I learned how to pray. I learned how to share my faith. I learned why church was important. I learned a lot about relationships, guys with girls, guys with guys. I learned about uh, marriage, parenting, finances, and on and on and on from Andy Harden over the course of about 18 months with him. He welcomed me to his house. He said, Blake, you, wanna, you can do laundry in my house. I was like, oh, sweet laundry, like free laundry. Heck yeah. But I go over there and guess what? I'm waiting around while the laundry is being done and I'm just interacting with his, his family and with Andy. I'm learning so much from him. Remember 2 Timothy 2.2? 2, 2? That's what Andy was doing with me. He was, decide, he was wanting to entrust what he had learned from someone with me. He was discipling me. But where did Andy learn that? Isn't that an interesting question to think about? It's like, where did Andy learn that? Let's go to the next, next, next slide. Sorry. All right. This is Andy and Casey Willis I was talking about earlier. Two guys at Georgetown that I met. All right, go to the next slide. Andy had learned it from Will Witherington. Okay? Will Witherington met Andy at West Georgia University in late 90s, I think it was. Maybe early 2000s. And that's where Andy had learned how to give his life away, how to do all those things. Where did Will learn it? Well, Will learned it from a guy named Andy White. If you don't know Will Witherington, he's an incredible, incredible man. Like, I don't know if there's one guy in this whole world that I've learned more about walking with God and being a godly man or a leader than from him. He, I hope he gets to come speak at some point. He learned it from Andy White. Andy White was on staff with CEO at Barry College in 1993. Okay, some of your parents were probably like thinking about being born right around then. Uh, not really, but from Andy White, and it's like, all right, well, where did Andy White learn it? Andy White learned it from Charles Hooper. Charles Hooper in the 1980s. So I was the beneficiary of the gospel news of what God had done for me through sending Jesus. Because Charles Hooper in the 1980s decided, I'm going to be faithful to God's Word, and I'm going to be faithful to discipleship, and I'm going to trust God with it. Charles Hooper has no idea who I am, other than I reached out to him on Facebook to thank him. Um, but he had, he had no idea in the 1980s what God was going to do with his life, but because he was faithful to discipleship and giving his life away, I was the beneficiary. I'm so, so thankful for Charles Hooper. All right, now I know what you think. Who did it for Charles Hooper? I don't know. Somebody did. Somebody did. You can trace this thing all the way back to Jesus, but I just went back just to Charles Hooper. So remember what God says. He says to remember His works. These are incredible works, what I just shared with you all. He worked in Charles Hooper's life decades ago so that I would be eternally impacted. Who did God impact decades ago so that you would be eternally impacted? So that you would be sitting in a seat like you are right now? Well, for some of you, I can, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you. Okay? For some of you, I know the, the story. Well, after I became a Christian and I graduated college, my life was just totally altered, flipped upside down, 
and I just wanted to share my faith and make disciples. Like, that's what I wanted to do. So I came on staff, and I told you all, I was at EKU for eight years. Well, one of the guys that I met there was Logan Hershenel. Y'all know Logan? He was just here. Him, Kara, baby Brooks. All right. I met Logan. He had played two years of JUCO baseball, came in to play baseball at EKU his junior and senior year. And I had been doing a lot of ministry with some athletes at EKU. And I, and I knew a couple baseball guys. They were like not Christians, but they were like cool with me. So I just said, hey, you think I could talk to your coach about coming to your practice, you know, and sharing a little bit? And reached out to the coach. He said, yeah, like, come on. So I went to practice, spoke in front of all these guys, just said, hey, I'm going to do a Bible study Tuesday night. Anybody wants to show up? And Logan came. He was one of like seven guys that come that first night, and then but only two of them stayed. Logan and Ben Fisher. Well, I got to disciple Logan for the next two years. Started doing Bible studies with him, started teaching him how to reach his teammates, all these things. And then whenever Logan graduated, he wanted to come on staff. He wanted to do the same thing. Around that same time, I was getting ready to move to Louisville, and I said, dude, I'd love for you and Kara to come with us. Come help us start campus outreach in Louisville. And so they did. Well, 2016, 17, Logan starts going to campus, wants to share his faith with people, wants to see if, are there, is there someone here that I can disciple, I can give my life to? He met Sam Gearsack. Sam becomes a Christian. Logan began discipling him. What happened with Sam? He caught a vision of evangelism and discipleship. And Sam began sharing his faith with guys like Sam and Cam. Sam and Cam, let's see, right here and right there. These two guys are sitting in this room today. I, I haven't even talked to them very much other than like maybe this week a little bit, okay? But they are the beneficiaries of Charles Hooper's faithfulness in the 1980s, as well as I was the beneficiary in 2007. Isn't that incredible to think about? Like, we have such a small view of our life. We really do. We have such a small view of like, if it's not instant, I don't want anything to do with it. Guys, discipleship is a long-term vision. And I hope that what I'm doing tonight is giving you a vision for discipleship. That you're not just thinking about what's going to happen this summer with people that I work with at Walmart or Chick-fil-A. No. What's going to happen with people in Minnesota that you don't know today? They're not even born yet. That they're going to be the beneficiaries of the gospel because of you. That's the kind of vision we want. Is When you're sitting around, you're, you know, you're doing Christmas in July. When you're sitting around your Christmas dinner table and you're 80 years old and you look around at all the family that's there, what kind of legacy are you going to leave at 80? Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, who you're going to be at 80 is going to start today. Who you're becoming today is who you're, the direction you're going to be when you're 80. All right. That's a, it's amazing that you're sitting here today. And it's because you could do some kind of chart. You could figure it out. Like, who got you here? Who led you to Christ? And who led them to Christ? And who discipled them? You could do that kind of work and figure it out. You should do that. Thank them. See how far you can kind of go up the line and send them a Facebook message or something. And yeah, thank you so much. You'll, you don't even know who I am, but I'm eternally, I've been eternally impacted because of, of what you did. All right. And then think about this. This is a little bit short term. Who's going to be sitting here next year thankful because of you? Who's going to be sitting here next year like, man, 
I'm so glad that they were faithful to the Lord. I'm so glad that they shared their faith with me. I'm so glad that they asked me to join that Bible study on your campus and they're sitting here next summer. All right, let me, let me cast a little vision of what this looks like. We're, we're almost done. If you just discipled one person, now for some of you that's like, man, that's really simple, Blake, just one person. For some of you that's super overwhelming. I'm not equipped, I'm not ready. I'm an introvert, Blake, you don't even know me. I can't even, I can't even talk to my roommates. Trust the, trust the Lord. No matter where you are on the spectrum of personality traits, it doesn't matter. It's a command, remember? Not an elective. For some of us, maybe it's a little bit easier. For some of us, maybe a little bit harder. God gives different gifts. Trust Him with those. But don't have the prideful heart to think, I can reach so many people, and we can do this right now. Look at Jesus' model. It's always good to go back and look at Jesus' model. Okay, He gave His life to 12 men. 12 men. Now, He ministered to hundreds, thousands of people. He had lots of conversations with people. He did a lot of evangelism with people, but He really discipled 12 people. That's why they're called the disciples. He gave His life to them. So who are we to think that we would maybe disciple more than 12 people at a time? Like, if you even tried discipleship, to disciple 12 people and be a full-time student or be have a full-time job is impossible almost. Okay? So, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm trying to help you from not being overwhelmed to be like, huh, all right, Jesus didn't, he didn't like go out there and just disciple 100 people. No, no, no. 12, and really inside of that 12, there were really three that he really gave his life to. So, and I think what Jesus was doing here is he was showing us the power of multiplication. Like, he could have reached the whole world by snapping his fingers. But instead, he took these 12 guys for three years, taught them all kinds of stuff, and then said, now go make disciples. These 12, okay? Multiplication. That's what he was teaching them. So let me tell you, let me, let me do a little math education for you all on multiplication. All right, look at this chart that I've got up here. Let's just say this year I decided, 2022, I'm going to disciple one person, okay? And over the course of the 2022 calendar year, when 2023 starts, I'm going to disciple another person, and that person is going to disciple another person. Okay, you're tracking with me the multiplication that's about to happen? All right, let me blow your minds real quick. Year one, there's two of us. Year two, four, keep going. At year 34, 17 billion people at year 34. Man, I don't know about you all, but I started getting like cold chills and stuff and I started thinking about this because I'm like, in our lifetime, I'm 36. By the time I'm 70, 17 billion people could be reached if we just disciple one person a year. Okay. That's exciting to think about, that we get to be a part of that. Like, you can be a part of this, that in your lifetime, your kids' lifetime, we could try to, we could reach the whole world. We really could. Now, that's oversimplifying it, obviously. There are seasons when you have kids, women, one day, you have like three little ones running around, you're going to be like, I, I can't give, I can barely brush my teeth today, much less think about discipling another woman. There are seasons. Just be faithful to the, to the process. Be faithful to discipleship 
and see what God does. See what God does in 35 years from now through your life. We want to be faithful to Him. All right, in America, let me give you some sad statistics. In America, there are supposedly 92 million Christians. Okay? 92 million. If only 10% of them, this is if I started today and, and it started. Okay? That's just one person. 92 million. If 10% of them started this year doing that same thing, only 10% started, so 920,000 is what, or I don't even know what the number is. If they started, it would take 11 years and the whole world would be reached. Okay? That's just Americans. In the world, there's supposedly 546 million Christians. If only 10% of them started taking this serious 2022, it would take eight years. That's really wild to think about. Have you ever been in a crowded place and thought, there are so many people in this world? Have you ever, like seriously, raise your hand if you've been in a place like that. If you haven't, you need to travel a little more. Um, I was just in Turkey in April with my staff team, and there's a place called the Bazaar. Okay, if you've ever heard of a bazaar, maybe you've watched uh, the James Bond movies. I think is what it is. Uh, maybe it's not James Bond. Anyway, there's the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul, and basically it's just this huge—I mean, just like ginormous market. Okay, and we're walking down the streets, and it's probably half the size of this, half the width of this room. Okay, the streets are, and it is jam. I mean, like seriously, you're walking like this, and just there's just people everywhere. It's just unbelievable to me the amount of people that were just in that, that little bitty spot in the world right then. And I remember thinking, I remember having two thoughts. One, one, I was like, I'm in Turkey. The statistics are that like one in 100,000 people know Jesus here. Like, that was, biz- that was, cra- <laughs> that was bizarre to me. Um, that as I'm walking around, literally everyone I'm looking at, they don't know Jesus. And that made me really, really sad. And number two, I thought, God, there's no way we can reach everybody. There's so many. And then I thought, ye of little faith, Blake. Like, you're trusting in yourself and what you see, not what God sees. You're not trusting in discipleship. You're trusting in yourself and what you think could happen. Anyway, it can happen. God can do anything He wants to. And I know for a fact that He wants to use you with discipleship. All right. So what will be the impact from this summer with this group over the next several decades? What's going to be the impact? There will be people, Kentucky, Illinois, Missouri, Minnesota, Indiana, and across the world transformed because of you, because of what God's done in your life. All right, so what now? Maybe you're like, Blake, I get it, dude. I'm re- like, I'm committed to this. I'm ready. What do you do now? So maybe you're a new Christian, a newer Christian. Here's my recommendation to you. Meet with the staff and tell them, I want to be discipled. Because, because before you can actually disciple people, you kind of got to know what you're doing. You know, Tell a staff, hey, I want to be discipled because I want to make disciples. All right, that's a good first step. Maybe you're a leader. Maybe you are already doing this. Maybe you're already kind of giving your life away and discipling people. Keep doing it. Don't stop. Keep reading God's Word with other people. Keep sharing your faith. Keep investing your life into others.
and invest your life into others who are going to invest their lives into others. The Second Timothy 2, 2 verse, entrust to other faithful men and women. All right, what about if you're sitting in here and you're not a Christian yet? You're just taking it all in. That's amazing. I'm so thankful that you decided to spend a summer down here looking into this stuff and like, man, what? I don't even know if I believe in this. Here's, here, here's really my question to you is, what are you waiting on? What, what piece of information do you need other than what was shared in that First Peter 1, 3 and 4? What more do you need? It's faith. It's faith. You're never going to have all the questions answered. Never. Because you cannot grasp how holy God is. You cannot get into the mind of the Creator, the Sovereign who has always existed and always will exist. What are you waiting on? His goodness is extended to you through Christ. Trust in Him. Put your trust in Him tonight. All right. I've kind of given you a framework, vision for why we should do discipleship. But what I haven't given you is a lot of how-tos. How-tos. And I don't have time tonight. I wish I did. But my recommendation to you is this, okay? Two things. Recommendation, two things. One, talk to a staff, okay? They can help you. They can give you the how-tos. That's why they're on your campus. Number two, and you could do this tonight, tomorrow, Man, it'd be incredible. Buy a book called The Lost Art of Disciple Making. The Lost Art of Disciple Making. The author's name is Leroy Imes. I read it probably once every two years just for my own self. But it is a basic how-to do discipleship. It's a very, very good book. And it was written in the 1970s. It's a very, very helpful book. So, all right, so if you came to discipleship tonight and you're like, man, I'm just so excited to learn how to do it, and you came here and you're like, man, I'm really bummed out. I didn't really learn how to. Great, it's okay. There's a lot of ways to talk about discipleship. I wanted to give you a vision of why we should want to do discipleship. You can learn the how-tos from each other, the team leaders that are here, the staff that are on your campus, and from really, really good books. So, all right, if you have any questions, thoughts, Please come up to me. I'm going to stick around tonight. I'll leave tomorrow morning. This is what I said in the beginning. I uh, wish I was here longer to talk to you more about this. But I'll be around tonight if you want to talk some more. Let me pray, and then I'll throw some discussion questions up here. Father, I'm just amazed again that you would die for sinners. That you would send your own son to, to come live a perfect life and die a sinner's death on a cross for people like us. God, we, we are undeserving. We, we can't do anything to earn Your love, to earn Your favor, but yet You, because of Your great mercy, have caused us to be born again because of what Jesus did on the cross and through His resurrection. God, thank You. Thank You that You give us an, an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Lord, I pray for every student in this room that they would know You, that they would love You, and they would want to make You known wherever they go. Father, I pray that there would be 
8 billion people on this earth and they would all hear the name of Jesus because of students like the ones that are here tonight would take discipleship serious and want to invest their lives, not just this year, God, but every year of their life. Lord, I pray that in 20, 30, 40 years, we would get Facebook messages that would say, thank you for being faithful. You don't know me, but because of what you did at Bethel University, I received the gospel because of your faithfulness. Lord, and even if we don't get those, we don't rejoice in those things. We rejoice that our names are written in the book of heaven. God, we rejoice that you love us and have died for us, Father. And so I pray that you would bless these students, God, and you would use them mightily on their campuses, with their friends, and with their family. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, thank you. Thanks, Abby. Thanks. All right, some uh, some questions, and I got a couple resources up here. You can go to the next slide. Uh, what excites you about discipleship? What fears do you have about discipleship? Who has God put in your life to share the gospel with, or possibly disciple? Or who has God put in your life to disciple you? What investments do you need to make with your life to get equipped to make disciples? And then here's a couple resources. Here's the book I talked about: "Born to Reproduce" by Dawson Trotman, "Fuel in the Flame" by Steve Chadwright. Those are all really, really uh, good resources around this stuff. So thank you all so much. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2022 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.